When Joel asked me to preach this morning, I assumed that it was because he and his family were on vacation last week. This is pretty common for folks in my profession. Uh, in fact, it's, it's so common that folks like us lovingly call it Youth Pastor Sunday. So thanks for joining me on this wonderful holiday. I'm glad you could make it. If you have your Bibles, please open to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. I hope that your Bibles are well worn in to this small but meaningful letter towards the end of our New Testament. We've been living in this word, studying this word, letting this word live in us for weeks and weeks and weeks now, and, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful to serve at a church where um, the Bible is of such high importance for our faith and for our practice. In fact, the, the Bible is our final authority here at Bachelor Creek, and that's so valuable to us that that is one of our core values. The Bible is our final authority. And that is why it's been such a, a gift, such a blessing to, to walk through this text together because more than any other messages that we get from the world or from our, our sin-poisoned minds, this is truth. This is life. And so we gather to take it in. Now, as I dove into 1 Peter 4 preparing for this message, I realized my assumption about why Joel wanted me to preach this week was wrong. In fact, he's here already. They came all the way back early. No, it's not because they were on vacation. It's because of the content. Have you read 1 Peter 4? It's a bummer. I mean, it was up on the screen earlier, but in an, in an attempt to be true to the text, I named this sermon, Suffering, Judgment, and the End of the World. Yippee! You guys that came back early from fall break are like, man, we should have stayed. And if you're with us online, don't go anywhere. Before you go or tune me out, I want you to strap in because I hope to show you that what Peter wants us to know and what the whole authority of Scripture wants us to know is that these three things, suffering, judgment, and the end of the world, are all points of hope, of encouragement, of life, and of joy for the modern believer. And you may think I'm crazy, because these are three topics that we just don't talk about. In fact, Next time you're at the gas station, just calmly bring up judgment and the end of the world to whoever's pumping gas next to you. They're probably going to move their car to a different pump just to get gas. We don't talk about these things. It's unpleasant. So we may not want to go there this morning. We may prefer to keep it pleasant, light comfortable, but I argue we must go there because Scripture goes there. And friends, I imagine many of you are with me. I praise God that Scripture goes there because whether we like it or not, life takes us there. Life is hard. I don't have to spend much time at all this morning bringing our minds to the fact that the last year and a half has just been like an unending reel of trauma and tragedy for so many of us in this congregation. Death of people close to us, divided families, 
anxiety of what might or might not be required of us, sicknesses and afflictions of various kinds and severities, pain, hopelessness of a time frame that has no end point in sight. Friends, in light of what we've walked through together, unpleasant is an inadequate word. It doesn't even cover the half of it. It's almost embarrassing to call the depth of what we've walked through just unpleasant. But that's what we're going with, and I I want us to know that for all the work we put in our lives to avoid the unpleasant, for all the money we spend trying to keep ourselves comfortable, for all the work we put in to make sure that our kids don't have to walk through difficult things. Scripture and experience tell us that suffering is unavoidable. It's unavoidable. But we Christians know that there is glory in the unpleasant, and there's beauty in the pain. Why? Because God is up to something. God is up to something in the midst of this mess. I praise him for it. This morning, we turn to face head-on the unpleasantries of a life in a broken, sin-sick world because God invites us to embrace it with gospel perspective, with eyes and hearts that have been transformed. And if there's one theme of our text this morning, if there's one theme of 1 Peter as a whole, it's that God uses the unpleasant for our salvation. God uses the unpleasant for our salvation. In the hands of the Almighty, the trials we face are the tools used to sculpt his kingdom among us. With the power of the sovereign, the hardships that we feel shackled by are the very means by which we are set free. Under the cross of Christ, Satan's best attempts to break us are the methods God uses to heal us. Let's not forget that the Jesus we follow was brutally crucified, and that ultimate playing card that Satan had the authority to play, namely death, was the very catalyst God used to bring life, not just to Jesus, but to all of us through his resurrection, amen? What Satan used to destroy God, God used to destroy Satan. And that is our reality. That can be your reality, the very things that Satan is using to attack you right now in this season can be the things that God brings deliverance through, and he wants that to be the case. This is available for you. This good news is available for anyone who will hear it and receive it. God can do that for you. He's done it time and time again if you will surrender everything to his will. This morning, 1 Peter calls us to take a hard and honest look at some unpleasant things, things that the world avoids putting attention to or rejects the notion of, but in the Christian imagination, everything Peter brings up today is a source of joy and encouragement. So here we go, suffering, judgment, and the end of the world. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, 
They do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. And they're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to the human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Our directive for today is to be prepared for suffering. Not to spend all of our resources to try to avoid suffering, not to bow down under suffering, but to guard ourselves, to arm ourselves for it like an army that's ready for the attack. Get ready, it's coming. And Peter tells us that it's gonna happen and he gives us two reasons to be ready. And the first, one is the cause, the other is the result. In verse one, we see the cause. He says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. We should be prepared to suffer in this life because Christ suffered before us. Let's not forget that the Lord we follow lived a hard life. He died a tragic, miserable, brutal, and humiliating death. Our Jesus had no possessions. He was rejected by most. He had friends turn their backs on him. And he was the most misunderstood man who ever walked the earth. It's a pretty lonely experience. And Peter reminds us here that Jesus' words to us were not, don't worry guys, I've taken on everything that's hard so you don't have to. That's not what he said. And Jesus did not say, don't worry guys, I came so that you would never have any trouble at all. If you believe in me, you'll have a perfect life. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus' words were, follow me. In this world, you will have trouble. Follow me. If Jesus was hated by some, if we follow him, we should expect to be hated by some. If Jesus suffered, if we follow him, we should expect to suffer. If Jesus was ostracized for what he did and taught, we should expect to be ostracized for what we do, for what we teach, for what we believe. But here's the beauty in this. The suffering for the believer is a source of encouragement and joy because Jesus did it first. Christian, take heart. You are suffering now, but you are not suffering alone. You are not suffering alone. I'm reminded of the old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. The author of Hebrews tells us in chapter four, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Don't lose the beauty of the fact that Jesus suffered before us 
that Jesus suffered with us. Don't lose the fact that Jesus knows what it's like to be where you are. And not just because he's God and he knows everything, but because he subjected himself to it. Every way in which humans suffer today, Jesus knows what it's like. Now, he may not make it all go away in an instant. He might. And there's stories of that. In my experience, it has not been the case. But he'll be with you. And what encouragement to have a friend who's sitting there and he says, yeah, I get it. This is hard. But I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. I'm with you on this. He knows what it's like to watch a close friend die. He knows what it's like to be alone. He knows what rejection is like. He knows what being tempted is like. He was, in fact, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Nothing we experience on this earth, as painful as it may be, is new or unknown to Jesus himself. Know this, that when you pray, he hears you. When you're struggling, he is with you. Jesus cries with you. He sits with you. He suffers with you. Jesus suffers with us. And as much as I hate what I've been through in the last two and a half years, I can't deny the fact that in the moments of deepest agony, of most isolation, those are the moments that I've felt Jesus the closest in my entire life. There's mountaintop experiences, and I've had plenty of those, and I love those too, and they're highly emotional and, and, and wonderful, and I don't discount that. Those are great. And it, but as much as I wouldn't wish depression on my worst enemy, in the opposite of the mountain, in the deepest, darkest valley where I feel most alone, where no one understands what I'm going through, Jesus is there. And I have experienced communion with Jesus in the valleys unlike I ever have any other time in my life. And friends, that is available to you. If you are suffering, I know it's hard, but know that Jesus is with you. Know that he is inviting you to be closer with him in the midst of this because Jesus suffered and we may not be more like Jesus than when we're suffering. If you're feeling very absent from God, or if God feels absent from you, don't avoid suffering, for perhaps that is a means by which he wants to draw you near. I'm not saying that he's orchestrated this, but perhaps he's always drawing you near. And perhaps there's a closeness with God that you can experience if you'll surrender. Peter also tells us the result of our suffering. And that's another reason to be prepared. Again, in verse 1 and verse 2, he says, Whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. 
As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Peter's telling us that God uses sufferings as a means to chisel the sin nature off of us. We become so attached way too easily to the things of this world. Our sin entangles us, and often, worst of all, we are not even aware of it. Materialism, pride, greed, consumerism, apathy, envy, and all kinds of idolatry. These sins can become so closely knit to our identity that we don't know what we would do without them. We can't imagine a life without fill in the blank, said sin. So when Satan launches an attack on us, God uses it to thwart his plans and illuminate the sin that's wreaking havoc in our lives. Notice how in moments of agony and suffering, you are most aware of yourself, of your soul, of the state that you are in. And when we suffer long enough, we become able to let these things go. And our chains are broken and we are free to cast off the flesh and take up the spirit and we begin to see the beautiful fruits of the spirit in our lives. Suffering refines us. The old saying rings true. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Like a fire that purifies precious metal. Like a gardener that lops off dead branches so the vine can flourish. Or even like the pain that is experienced in childbirth that just doesn't even compare at all as, as, as much as it hurts when your new child is in the world, all of the suffering just melts away for the joy that is before you. This joy is before us. The time of suffering ends soon, and the time of unending joy is quickly approaching. Be encouraged, friends. That's what Peter addresses in verse seven and following. He says, straight out of his mouth, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Knowing that the end is near pumps adrenaline into our worn out bodies. It strengthens our weary knees. It billows air on our smoldering fires. How you play the game in the first quarter is very different from how you play the game in the fourth quarter. We're in the fourth quarter. Knowing the time fuels the spirit. Knowing the time fuels the spirit. And it is the fourth quarter. And we should live like it. 
And don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear what Peter's not saying. Peter doesn't say, the end of all things is near. Therefore, build up your home arsenal and food supply, invest in radio communication, hunker down in your underground safe house till Armageddon. It's not what Peter's saying. It's not what I'm saying. But I think it's wild what he does say. He says, be alert. Okay. Have a sober mind for the sake of your prayers to love each other. Be hospitable to each other. Use the gifts God has given you to glorify Jesus Christ. Essentially, he's saying, keep on living the way that you know you should. The end is coming, so keep it up. He already said, you know what, the time for all of that just recklessness and idolatry and sin that we know has no real meaning, that time has passed. It's the fourth quarter. Take on love. Take on hospitality. It's my hope that if I ask the question, if you had one week left to live, how would you live it? It's my hope that all of us here would say exactly the same. Because I know the time is short. I don't know how much time I have left. Every breath is a gift. Every day is a miracle. And I have thrown off everything that's meaningless in my life. And I am actively pursuing the kingdom of God. I've stopped investing in the world's schemes that Jesus tells us moth and rust will destroy. And it's all coming to an end. And I've invested everything into the kingdom of God, which is eternal. Let that be said of us. Because whether we're aware of it or not, whether it seems true or not, Scripture is clear. The end is near. The time is now. If you're not actively investing in the kingdom, what are you doing with your life? I have to ask this question. Because everything that is of this world will soon pass away. The things that last are love, God, relationships, things of his kingdom. Don't waste your life you've been given by chasing after the meaningless passions of the flesh. Don't trade what really matters for momentary gratification that we all know doesn't last, that we all know leaves you feeling empty. Show hospitality. Have friends over for dinner. Invite people you wouldn't normally into your home. Take care of those who need it. Don't hoard everything for yourself. Get in on the next meal train. Sign up for the prayer list. Serve the local body. Be a part of something that matters. It's the fourth quarter. Peter gives us the reason that we are to love. In verse 8, he says, love covers a multitude of sins. Curious phrase, but he's taking cues from the wisdom contained in the book of Proverbs. It's Proverbs 10, 12. It says, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. Now, Peter's not talking about atonement. We know that only the blood of Christ can remove the guilt that is associated with our sin. So he's not talking about covering sin in that sense, no. This, but what he's saying is love can heal lots of open wounds and it can smooth out lots of ruffled feathers. 
Love offers reconciliation. Love offers forgiveness. You see, we're going to be wronging each other all the time. It's inevitable that I will do something that really, really annoys one of you. Because Chloe's here. <laughs> no, spouses know this more than anyone. It's, it's inevitable. We fail. We're human. We can't live perfectly. And by the way, brief aside, if you're expecting perfection out of anyone, you're going to be disappointed. But what Peter's saying is that, that love, love can, can cover over these mistakes, that people will offer forgiveness. It's like putting coins in the pocket. Every time you show an act of love towards someone, you're putting change in their pocket. And when the day comes that you inevitably do something wrong and take some coins out, ideally they have enough change in their pockets to say, you know what, I know that that's not your character. You made a mistake, but that's not who you are. Love covers a multitude of sin. Each day we have here is meaningful, and we need to have some urgency in the way we live and love. Every act of love we do or don't do matters. Every hour you spend serving the local church matters. Every kind word to a stranger matters. Every volunteer hour matters. Every tip amount matters. Every act of service for your spouse matters. Jesus really is coming soon. Justice is coming soon. Let's live like it. Let's carry on briefly. First Peter chapter 4. We'll finish the chapter here starting at verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Do not be surprised, Peter says. It shouldn't be a shock to us when life gets hard. Don't be surprised if you buy a car off of Craigslist and it breaks down the first time you drive it out of the state. May or may not be speaking from experience. Don't be surprised if you bring a pool table into the youth room <laughs> and the pool cues are broken within five minutes. May or may not be speaking from experience. Don't be surprised if you climb a rock face without a rope and you fall and bust up your knee and your spouse fusses at you because she told you not to do it. May or may not be speaking from experience. Here's the bottom line. Don't be surprised if you follow Jesus when hard times come. Again, suffering is to be expected for those of us who choose to follow in the footsteps of Christ. He is the suffering servant. 
And Peter doesn't minimize the suffering by saying it's not that bad. He doesn't compare the suffering to anyone else's because our suffering is all relative. He doesn't say anything like, you're not in tough a spot as that person. No, he calls it the fiery ordeal. This is real life. And again, what we're walking through is hard. But once again, in the unpleasantness, the gospel offers hope, and Peter tells us why. Jesus suffers with us, suffering refines us, and Peter tells us one more reason why there's hope in this present suffering. Judgment is coming. This isn't going to last forever. The time of our trials, though it is so real and seems unending, the time of our trials on the time span of eternity is but a blip. And everyone who has caused you hurt and everyone who has caused the innocent hurt will have to give account to the judge who judges the living and the dead. Justice is coming soon, friends. So Peter says it's actually a blessing if you're insulted because of the name of Christ. And he's, that's exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 5. In the Sermon on the Mount, you can look it up. But that's because if we are suffering for the name of Christ and people are demeaning us, the judge, the true judge, is gonna take care of it. And friends, we need justice. We need a God who cares enough about evil and is strong enough to do something about it. So justice is coming. And this is a source of joy. But it's also a warning. If it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Know that we are saved by grace alone. We are not saved by doing enough good things, but there is a very present, imminent reality that those who are outside of the will of God will be condemned. So this puts urgency to our relationship with Christ and our relationships with others. Choose salvation. And let the coming judgment be a joy to you.